This is the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. Make yourself comfortable and fasten your seatbelt. Tom and his guests are about to share powerful stories, trade business-building insights, and have a few laughs. Tom created this podcast to help you captivate prospects and inspire them to act so you can get more clients quickly and easily. That's what powerful storytelling is all about. That's what this podcast is all about. So let's get this party started. Here's your host, Tom Ruich. Hello and welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. My name is Tom Ruich and today's episode is called How to Be Creative, Even If You Think You Don't Have It In You. As always, I'll kick off today's episode with a quick story before interviewing my guest. A few months ago, I met a guy named Steven Robbins, who is a creative unicorn. Creativity oozes from his pores. Steve is a productivity coach and consultant with degrees from MIT and Harvard who wrote and starred in a two-man musical about, get this, time management. The musical was called Work Less and Do More, the zombie musical. And it was, according to Stever, the world's first musical so informational you want to take notes and so dramatic you cry. That sounds better than the typical blah, blah, blah lecture about time blocking and accountability and all that stuff. Stever also created a podcast called The Get It Done Guy, which was wildly creative, informative and entertaining. It reached the top five of all podcasts on iTunes during its third year. It was the top rated business podcast on iTunes for four years, and it was in the top 10 for all business podcasts most of its 12-year run, 577-episode 12-year run. That's a lot of creativity. But here's the thing. Stever didn't pull this off because he was a creative unicorn. He pulled this off because he knew what it takes for anyone, unicorn or not, to unleash their creativity. When Stever and I talked about this, he said, there are plenty of places in what I've done where I do a lot of creativity, but it doesn't depend on my unicorns. It depends on something else that we're going to discuss today. Stever Robbins is my guest, and we're going to discuss how all of us can tap the creative well within. Stever is going to share with us what it takes for him to do it, even when that unicorn within is taking a nap. Steve Robbins has been an executive coach, entrepreneur, and co-designer of the Harvard MBA program. In addition to the musical and podcast, Steve has written three books. And as I mentioned earlier, he holds degrees from MIT and Harvard Business School. And he is a master trainer, elite, master trainer, elite of neuro-linguistic programming. So Steve Robbins, welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. Thank you very much for having me. And you know, I I feel obliged to admit you said that I am I am uh, oozing oozing unicorn creativity or something. <laughs> and then you mentioned that I'm a master trainer elite of neuro linguistic programming. And I've always thought that this master trainer elite title sounds a lot like a dessert topping. So when I put the two of those <laughs> together, we have a wonderful unicorn flavored dessert. And what could be better than that? <laughs> There it is. I think that would make for a good uh, graphic or a photo, you know, Stever, Stever covered, Stever with, Stever covered with whipped cream. This could, this could go off the rails very quickly, but hey, well, <laughs> so it wouldn't be the first time. Um, so, uh, so Stever, when we were talking, we were talking about 577 episodes and you said something that really struck me. You said, yeah, you know, I think that creativity, my unicorns probably were good for getting, I don't know, the first hundred episodes or so out the door. And then there were 477 to go. So, and a book and a a book and a 120 page book on personal productivity. Yeah. And and, and so, you know, how does that happen? Um, what are the things that it takes to keep going um, week after week, 
doing this work. And, and again, this isn't frivolous stuff you're putting out there. This is meaningful business building, powerful information, but you're doing it in a creative and entertaining way week after week after week. How the heck do you do it? And, and with an eye toward that person who thinks they're not creative at all, how do they do it? Sure. Well, so first of all, I just, and I could be wrong about this, but I just believe people are born creative. And I think that one of the reasons people are not creative is we learn to not be creative. As children, we have wild flights of fantasy. We go play make-believe. We we make little, you know, make little universes in, in our front yard and our imagination. And we move little toy soldiers or dolls or, you know, pick your favorite, whatever. In my case, it was scientists. I had little toy scientists. Not very easy to get and really boring when you invite other people over to, to play with them. It's, look, he's looking, he's looking through the through the telescope now. Oh, and look, he just discovered Alpha Centauri. And your friends are kind of like, can't we play with soldiers and like have to move a little bit? Like, no, you have to be in one location in order for the light for Alpha Centauri to come in for like four and a half hours. Uh, I was not wildly popular as a child, but we're born with this incredible creativity. And a lot of what we're told to do is to stifle it. So when we're in school, I, I would I, I have to say my my number one example of this was a friend of mine who uh, was diagnosed as being learning disordered. And here's why: is he was taking one of these IQ tests, and they had a picture of a clock without with no hands. It had the numbers, but it did not have hands. And the question was, what's missing? And his answer was the wall behind the clock. There and you go. I, you know, and he told me this and he's like, oh, this shows how stupid I am. And I'm like, I actually think that's kind of a brilliant answer. Yeah. It's just that he was told that that wasn't the right answer and it wasn't a brilliant answer and it wasn't a smart answer. I had the same thing happen to me with poetry. Oh my God. I took a poetry, a freshman poetry class uh, in college. It was a symposium, which meant we got to go around and critique each other's poems, right? Mm, this is a mm -hmm. great cauldron for, for stimulating creativity. So my poems resembled uh, Ogden Nash's, rhyming couplets, you know, uh, here I am talking to Tom. Um, well, I can't even come up with another one that my mind blah, is blah, 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 the bomb. Exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. And... Oh my God, the class excoriated me for the yeah. poems that I wrote. And as a result, I, I never tried writing poetry again. Just yeah. boom, done. And I think that happens to a lot of us. And it happens to a lot of us in school. It happens at home when people, it happens with friends. It happens with advisors, people who say, grow up and be realistic. I'll tell you something. I grew up, uh, or I'm, I'm reasonably grown at this point, and I went to go see Peter and the Starcatcher on Broadway, which is the origin story for Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things about my past that not a lot of people know is that I moved away from home when I was 15 and mm. spent so a time that other people are still experiencing at least some part of childhood and some part of being taken care of. I was busy working and trying not to get, to get evicted from my apartment and uh, to keep my friends from throwing water balloons off of the balcony because it was a second floor <laughs> apartment. That really happened and that ultimately got me evicted. And and I'm watching Peter and the Starcatcher with my friend Dawn, and they get to the scene where Peter is saying, I forget what, to the fairy or whatever. He was saying, I don't ever want to grow up. I want to be a little boy. And he said that, and I burst into tears. Uh, I, you know, And Dawn kind of looked at me, and she was like, what's going on with him? And I think that it was really a connection in that moment. And, you know, by the way, that's a... <laughs> it's not an isolated incident. I have to be very careful around the Peter Pan myth. Uh, but <laughs> I think part of what's happening there is that I really do kind of like momentarily touch on what I was like as a kid before I had to worry about responsibilities, before I had to dress the right way and act the right way. And I think that's true of many, many, many people. Now, a lot of times when you're a kid, your creativity might express itself in ways that aren't particularly you know, pulling someone's pants down or, you know, giving them a swishy or something, not a particularly great expression of creativity, but it could be creativity. So, yeah. you know, the key is to challenge into is to channel it. And the bigger key, I believe, is to learn is if you're if you're young and listening 
to this. The challenge is keep it. When people tell you to grow up, say, yes, mm-hmm. I will grow up and then go home and make yourself a hot fudge sundae with, you know, M&Ms on it and eat it while standing on your head. And, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, bouncing up and down, but doing something decidedly unadult like, yeah. because I think it's really important to, to keep hold of that. Now, if you're an adult who, who made the mistake of listening to the people around you and going to work in an environment where people really want you to just toe the line and to be the same as everyone else, or if you live in a community where conformity is the, is the dominant norm, then I think it's important to find yourself a context where you can act out of that. And I don't mean act out in a, in a, uh, an acting bad way. I actually mean act out as in, here's the way you're expected to act. Just find, speculate something outside of that, and then just step outside that little frame and do it. I, one of, I, yeah, go ahead. Keep going. One of my favorite examples of this is a story told by coach Cheryl Richardson, who is one of the founders actually of the really kind of of the life coaching movement back in the 1990s. And she tells the story of how one day she was at, uh, she was at a beauty salon having her, having a pedicure, having her nails done. And she was getting her nails done in some sparkly nail polish and there was a an older woman sitting next to her who looked down and said, "Oh, those are so pretty. I wish that I could get mine done like that with you know something creative." And Cheryl said, "Well, why can't you?" And the woman said, "Oh no, I mean the, <clears throat> that wouldn't be proper." And Cheryl looked at her and said, "If you're holding yourself back from getting rainbow colored no- toenail polish." what else in your life are you holding yourself back from? Mm-hmm. And apparently yeah. the woman then went and she got the rainbow colored colored nail polish. So I think part of it is, is accessing your inner child and accessing the creativity that's there. Might be dormant, might've might been dormant for a while, but you know, think back to the things you loved. In my case, musical theater, which you mentioned before, that, did, that was not an interest from childhood. That was something I discovered as an adult, but it was playing make-believe which is something I did as a child. And when I fell in love with performing, which I haven't actually done that much, I, the last time I was in a performance was like seven or eight years ago, if, if even that. Um, but part of what I love so much about it is it's got that playing make-believe thing, which I didn't do nearly enough of as a kid. And so even though there's a script to that, the rest of the acting is the, is the make-believe. And finding containers like that for you to begin to explore and to act out of the frame that you put yourself in, I think is really key. And yeah. it might mean, you know, it might mean physically going someplace where people who know you won't see you. In my case, I go to Burning Man, which is a giant arts event. It's a, it's a city made of art, essentially made of art in the desert that happens once a year. And one of the cool things about Burning Man is you don't have to give people your real name. Most people there go by a pseudonym or what's what's called your playa name because it's on the playa. Um, And it's a non-judgment, a very non-judgmental zone. So you can show up and you can behave in ways you would never behave. You decide if if you're a meek and mild-mannered, stereotypical retiring librarian, and you decide that you want to take a walk on the wild side and show up as a swashbuckling pirate, you can just (laughs) do that. And you can put on a pirate costume and you can go around and you can be someone who you normally aren't. And in this case, in this case, it's, it's physically separated. Chances are no one, no one, you know, is going to see you. And if they do see you wandering around in your swashbuckling costume, you can be seeing them in their French maid's costume. And now the (laughs) two of you will have something to talk about in private (laughs) when you get back to your middle-class suburban, (laughs) um, you know, existence. Um, so I, so I think one of the big pieces is finding a container for yourself that's outside of your normal comfort zone or the normal zone of how you limit your behavior and really deciding to get that rainbow nail polish. Yeah. And I, I, I just love so many elements of, of what you were saying. And I want to take it back to that middle class existence, take it back to the office, take it back to the professional setting, because while while Burning Man is a beautiful thing and exploring musical theater and all of these things, finding your child, inner child and all of that are, are beautiful, beautiful things. What I'd love to explore is how can that 
professional in the office on a daily basis, write an email or produce a podcast or post something to social that's not the same old blah, blah, blah thing, but is something that has some creativity. Burning Man shouldn't be the one-off release when your inner creative soul can express itself. Your creativity can express itself 365 days a year. And, and I know that we, we also talked about this. You carry these degrees. You, you are an undergraduate of MIT. You have an, a Harvard MBA, and you entered the work world with a sense of what it meant to be a degree holder from those places and what it meant to be a professional. And no, talk a- I'm no, no, no. I'm going to challenge that. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I grew up in a traveling New Age hippie polyamorous commune. Literally. Yeah, yeah. Okay. When I went to MIT and to Harvard Business School, I had no idea how people acted in a professional setting. None. Uh, My first job out of MIT, I I had a pierced ear. And I was the only person at the company who had a pierced ear. And this was actually long enough ago that a guy with a pierced ear was a big deal. And I used to have conversations with the guy who founded the company, a man named Charlie Bachman, who was a major figure in in the IT world. And, and he was, I don't know, he must've been mid fifties or maybe, maybe early sixties. And every time we would talk, he would just stare (laughs) at my earring, you know, now in retrospect, he would stare really obviously at my earring and he was very clearly trying to tell me to take the damn thing off. Yeah. Clueless. I was totally clueless. I was like, Oh, look, he must like my earring. Uh. (laughs) Um, uh, So, so actually I, I did not learn, I, I did not go into the work world with that, but I learned it fairly quickly. And, um, and that's you know, what and, I meant, that, that at some okay. point you were, you were bumping into this idea that you were supposed to behave in a different, in a certain yes. way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. And, you know, I tell people when someone says to act professional, what they mean is restrict your behavior dramatically. Like that, that is literally what they mean. When you say yeah. act professional, it means remove the emotion from what you're doing, remove yeah. the feelings from what you're doing, act kind of like a robot, but use a little bit more vocal inflection. And, um, you know, part of it is I was raised not to behave that way. And it's really hard for me to play against type as it were. Um, so I do have that advantage there, whether that's genetic or whether it's just my upbringing, my wacky upbringing, I don't know. But the other part of it is, This. This is my little moleskin uh, or moleskine, depending upon how you decide to pronounce it. Both are correct, according to my friend who is a marketing manager there. Um, this is my little moleskine notebook. And you can use this. You can use a three by five card uh, or three by, a three by five pad. This is your burning man. So if you are sitting at work daydreaming and thinking, oh my gosh, I would rather be. Uh, I would rather be playing the MC in cabaret right now and making, you know, making metaf- making metaphors in German about a nightclub singer's three-way love life. Write it in here. Don't necessarily just suddenly blurt it out in the middle of the office and say, you know, hey, let's all let's all start a cabaret and don't write it in here. Now, there's a couple things here. Number one is. Um, <clears throat> And I recommend actually a physical notebook, not, not a, you can take it out of the physical notebook and type it in to a document later. But my experience is that you will visit you or I, I'll just speak for myself. I am more creative when I'm doing things with paper. And I think it's because I'm not distracted by all of the other things. When mm-hmm. I open my little red book, that's the, that's the only thing that's, that's happening is, is I am now suddenly in, in record my creative mode. And in your little red book, you can write anything and you can be anyone you want and you can play make-believe and you can be a zombie general. You can, you can be a nightclub singer. You can be an astronaut. You can be a scientist and an astronomer, whatever you want to do. And you just write your ideas down in that. Or if you think of a joke, you write it down in that. 
Or if you're looking across the room and one of your coworkers is dressed in a way that you find funny and you make a comment under your breath to the person sitting next to you and they kind of, and you're both there snickering, that's a sign. That means you just made a funny. Grab your book and write it down. Because what you'll find is you actually have lots of creative moments every day. The problem is less about being creative. The problem is more capturing the creativity because we let it get away. So what happens is when you say something funny, you notice people are listening or sorry, people are laughing, write it down in your book. Now your friends will hate you because you're now taking yourself away from that. And you're saying, okay, I'm putting my social interaction on hold, but you know, you'll be able to make up for having no friends by instead having a gigantic body of creative work. And, um, you know, it's, and, life and, is all about choices. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And it, it capturing the work, it's, it, it's great advice. Have that tool, the journal, and be, the notebook. And, yes. Yeah. And then because you're doing it in the notebook, you don't have to conform to professional standards. Yeah. If you have a really off-colored idea, you can write it down. You don't have to tell yeah. anyone else. If you have an idea that just would be considered shocking or heretical, at a place where you work, right? Like, like maybe you have an idea why why employers should not be the ones to set wages and instead they should be set by the workers. <laughs> write it down in here and you can write a musical about it. And then eventually you'll make it on Broadway and you'll be able to quit your job, repossess <laughs> the mortgage of the person you used to work for. And when they're out on the streets begging for money, you can walk by in your fabulous IMA Broadway headliner outfit and give them a few coins here and there. There it is. <laughs> there. It is. And I, so I picture, I picture you, Steever, with your, your notebook um, so many years ago, writing things down. And yet at some point, it wasn't just an act of recording those creative things that otherwise wouldn't have played well with the guy who's staring at your earring and trying to telepath uh, a message to you about take that damn earring off. You are at some point releasing the work and bringing those ideas that are in that notebook alone out to the world. Tell us a little bit about those journeys and what it took for you to release the work, because in the end, that's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about, hey, people, go ahead and write that email that's creative. Go ahead and post that social post that's creative, that might fall a little bit out of your comfort zone. How did you okay. do it? So there's actually a bunch of pieces. It's funny because what we the points that we talked about prior to doing doing this, those aren't what's coming to mind right now. Um, yeah. uh, one of the biggest things that's coming to mind is is one of the biggest challenges in taking idea number three hundred and forty out of this book and doing something with it other than writing it down is resisting the call of ideas one to three hundred and thirty nine. Uh, yeah. Because it takes a couple seconds to write down an idea it might take years to turn that idea into something real. And during the time you're working on one idea, if you let yourself be too seduced by other ideas, you'll never get any of them done. So Mm -hmm. one of the hardest parts is actually committing to one idea and really seeing it through. Um, And I have this problem. I'm, I will be upfront about that. It is easy for me to go, okay, I'm 90% through with making this idea a reality, ready to move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I need to keep myself going. And fortunate, so there, there's two things that have been that have been helpful there. One of them is in terms of choosing which ideas to develop, I have found that often the ones that get developed it, aren't a choice. Um, what they are is a snowball effect. So Uh, I'm not going to go into extreme detail because I'm not ready to announce it yet, but I was at a cocktail party three years ago and I was talking to somebody, telling them a funny story. And she looked at, she looked at me and she said, oh my God, you have to write that article. And I was like, okay. So I got out my little notebook and I wrote down the idea. Didn't forgot about it. And then one day I was looking through the notebook and I saw the idea for the article and I thought, oh, that's funny. I'm just going to, I'm just going to really jot down an outline really quickly just just to see if you know just to see if there really is an article there and i jotted down an outline and and i thought you know what this could be an article and i stuck it away in an ideas file didn't touch it again 
uh, fast forward a couple of years and it's COVID and mm. we are, you know, we're all not going out. People call it lockdown, but you weren't legally locked down. I mean, you could go out. We just, you know, they just said you probably shouldn't. Uh, so I was at home being very conservative, uh, which I still am about going out into crowded public places. And I thought, oh my gosh, I need something to, to occupy my mind. What the heck should I do? And I don't even remember why, but at some point I just spotted that in the idea file. And I said, oh, you know what? I'm just going to work on that a little bit at a time for a couple of days and see what it comes out to be. Long story short, it is at the moment a 200-page book. Oh. And uh, I am working on, I'm working on a, the final major edit. I'm actually reorganizing the entire book, but I'm hoping that it's out sometime in 2023. And it's a book on marketing, which is not a topic that I... It's a topic that I know a surprisingly large amount about and didn't realize that I knew a large amount about until I started mm -hmm. thinking about it. And I look at that and it's almost been a purely creative venture. And the thing that has kept me going weirdly is that it's a fun idea and I'm playing with it, but I'm not invested in it. It was mm -hmm. just like, oh, I'll just do this little thing for an hour a day during COVID. And the more I did it, the more wild ideas I had. And remember, I wasn't invested in it. I wasn't planning on publishing it. I, I was. This was just this funny thing that this woman at a cocktail party had suggested that I do. And so what happened is I, I got to doing it. I took a little workshop on how to write a book. I'm like, oh, this is fun, but I'm never going to publish this. And because I had no emotional attachment to any particular end goal, I was able to go farther and farther with it. And then one day I looked at this and I was like, okay, I actually have a real book here. And yeah. And I gave it to a bunch of beta readers and they all got back and said, it's not just a book, it's a good book. <laughs> but I didn't do it by saying I'm setting out to write a good book. I just did it yeah. by saying, I'm just going to go explore outside my frame a little bit here and there and here and there. And then, you know, and what kept me going was that I wasn't attached to it. It was just kind of this fun little project. I strictly limited the time that I that I worked on it. I was I was only allowed to work on it for an hour a day uh, before work. So I, I started getting up ridiculously early. I'm, I'm not a morning person. And I would work on it for an hour. And I did this with a friend. She was writing her PhD thesis and she needed an accountability buddy. And I was like, well, I'm working on this thing. How about if we just meet for an hour in the morning? And at some point it took on a life of its own. So initially it was just this kind of fun thing and I'm doing it and I have my friend. This is a great excuse. In fact, it was a woman who I met doing musical theater together. And, um, uh, and we would just, you know, we would just write together. And then at some point, once it was becoming apparent, it was a real book. Suddenly now the motivation was, look, it's a real book. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I made a thing, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, here, here's a, here, whoops. And I'm now tearing it to pieces, right? You know, here it is. Like when I printed it out and I got this back, I'm like, I wrote that. Yeah. Like, who knew? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and uh, there are so many, so many important things that that you've said here, and it reminds me of a story that Daniel Throssell told me. Daniel is a copywriter out of Australia who writes daily emails that are almost all slice of life storytelling, very, very, very creative emails. And at the end of every email, he sells something usually and everyone actually. And I asked him, do you tend to know precisely where the email is going from a sales and business perspective? In other words, what is the purpose business-wise of the email? And then you grab a story to deliver that business point and that lesson and that pitch, or do you begin with the story and then somehow find your way to whatever the the business meaning is and his response was it's the latter i almost always start from that place of creativity a story without an end um and All right. and and that it, he said it makes for better creativity but I'm confident enough that I always know that that I can somehow tie it to wherever it needs to go for business reasons. And and you made me think of that as you were describing oh, your process with this. Book. So, well, thank you because because I yep. as you say that I realize that that's how I do it too. 
I, I, I usually start with a story and then bring it around to something else. And in fact, when I was writing the book, so uh, the book is half memoir, half content, which is not normally something that's particularly easy to do. In fact, uh, the publisher that I was working with called it an ice cream sundae. Ice cream, <laughs> or, uh, called it a, wait, ice cream sundae? Meatball, meatball sundae. Meatball sundae. Uh, they said, <laughs> meatballs are good. So ice cream sundaes are good. Meatball sundaes, however, not so good. Yeah. And... And so the first draft of the book was written more as a memoir where I sprinkled these marketing points. And my editor said, no, 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 this isn't working. Just write me the outline of how the book would go if you were solely writing it as a marketing textbook. And then we'll figure out how to put the memoir pieces in. So I wrote the outline as it would be as a marketing textbook. And I sent it back to her and I burst into tears. Not because I was having a Peter Pan moment. I burst into tears because my beautiful, wonderful, amazing, fabulous creation was now the driest, most boring freaking thing I could possibly imagine. Right. And the, you know, and she, she, (laughs) she quickly comforted me and she said, no, no, she's like, we're going to put it back in. But, you know, and what I realized is a lot of the information stuff that we're asked to learn really is boring. Humans are made for a story. We're not made for, for abstract information, which as a highly abstract thinker, I have to remember that sometimes, because even though I think in stories, I then tell people the abstract thing, even though I'm thinking in the story. And a lot of the times, like let's take the Get It Done guy, for example. So the Get It Done guy had 577 episodes. The first hundred were just easy. And then it started to become work. And one of the things I had done in the first hundred episodes is, this was part of the Quick and Dirty Tips Network, the head of whom is Grammar Girl. And Grammar Grammar Girl teaches grammar, and she has these characters who show up, like Squiggly the Snail, who are make appearances in her podcast. And I just love that. So I decided to make up some characters in my podcast. Now, interestingly enough, most of the characters I made up, I have since realized these are not characters that are made up. These are people I know. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I wasn't aware at the time I was basing it on people I know, but the instant I realized it. I was like, yeah, every single one of these characters with one exception is based on a real person. And and I started doing little story arcs for them because I'm like, oh, there has to be something here. So one of the women, for example, is Bernice. And Bernice owns a plant store called Green Growing Things, which was a real plant store that my mother owned. Um, uh, Bernice owns a plant store called Green Growing Things. And she might be having a problem because the inventory numbers are coming out wrong. And, you know, she's frustrated and running around the the store throwing flower pots and then suddenly being mortified at herself for having thrown a flower pot. Right. And gradually I developed character, I developed personalities for all of these characters. I wrote all the personalities down so that I could remember it from time to, you know, from episode to episode. And I also had story arcs. So one of the ongoing themes was that Bernice had a fiance, um, uh, Melvin. So I'd say I suddenly forgot his name for a minute. Oh my gosh. Uh, but Bernice and Melvin were, you know, they, they, they always were, first they were just trying to figure out how to even admit that they were attracted to each other. And then there was the romance and then there was the fiance. And I never really got to the big wedding. I, I got, they got engaged. But now what happened was for the first hundred episodes, I invented these characters. I gave them little storylines. Gradually, the characters took over my thinking. So if I had to do an episode and I was like, okay, I'm looking for an episode idea. Well, I would look at my little red book for the actual productivity tip. So the productivity tip might be something like if you want to do time boxing in your calendar, all calendaring systems allow you to create multiple kinds of calendars. Mm-hmm. And like, or multiple calendars within this, your single calendar program. So create a calendar that's just called time boxes that you can turn on and off to see it and just use that calendar. Right. And th- that's the productivity. Great tip. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's something I do. Um, yeah. But what I would say is, okay, I want to write that. I want to write that, that get it done guy episode. Um, Melvin and Bernice are currently overworked. Oh my gosh, they're overworked and they need to be become underworked. Mm-hmm. How is this going to happen with time boxing being the thing that's going to take them from point A to point B? So yeah. I would think and, and I would literally picture them. Like I can see right now Bernice and Melvin in my mind and they have inventory that has to be done and they have the books that need to be bookkeeped. And 
I'm thinking, oh my gosh, well, there's, they can't do all of this. They have 25 hours worth of work and they only have 24 hours to do it in. So they have to do a little at a time and they have to allocate this much time for inventory, this much time for booking. Oh, look, that looks like, that. look at, look at that. My hands are doing time boxing. And that's, and that's going to be the story arc now is they're overwhelmed. They need to get underwhelmed. And the, the way that they get underwhelmed is by time boxing. Yeah. But maybe the first thing that occurs to me is not that they're overwhelmed. Maybe the first thing that occurs to me is they just are disorganized, that they're planning their wedding and they have catering to do and they have to choose the meals. And then they also have to find a venue and they also have to put together a guest list and they have to design the invitations. Okay. If that's where they are, I still need to use time boxing as, as my tool because that's the what the content of the episode is going to be. So where could time boxing take them and how could it take them there? And I'm like, well, if they had time boxing is about separating things out into categories. So maybe what I would do is have them use time boxing to handle all the different aspects of the wedding. So in this case, it's not that they have too much to do. It's that they're just disorganized and time boxing is the way that they organize, is the way that they're going to organize mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the story, the story would be the thing that would interest and intrigue me. And it's almost like I would say, okay, given that I have a story or I have these characters who I don't know what they're going to do next, but I know where they need to end up. And then I would just take my tool and go, okay, if this is the tool they have to work with, how is it going to get them from point A to point B? Or if this is the tool I have to work with and they're at point A, which point B is this tool going to take them to? Right. And um, and I would do this explicitly. Like I would do things like write down on a piece of paper, you know, here's the tool and here is the story set up. And let me just brainstorm on that piece of paper. What is, what is point A, point B in the tool? Yeah. And, you know, and it's, it's uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying it to you right now in a way that sounds very organic because in the moment this is organic but when i actually was doing an episode a lot of times i would sit down and i would i would actually say okay if i'm going to implement this tool here's four different ways that i could present the tool yeah you know here's the story and i would kind of try to get my force my mind to let go of any one idea and at some point when you just start brainstorming and i would use mind maps a lot when you start brainstorming and mind mapping, you do reach a point where your brain just finally goes, okay, fine, I'm willing to actually drop the boundaries for a minute and just get wild. And, you know, one day Europa, who was the manager at the store, she was one of, one of the cashiers, one day it occurred to me that Europa was actually the secret uh, the secret master of the world. Like she basically owned, <laughs> she, she basically was the controller of the entire Eastern Bloc, um, disguised as a plant store cashier. Uh, you know, so that she could live a normal life with the cybernetic son who she built herself. Yeah. You know, and I don't know where that came from, but but once I came up with the idea, I was like, oh boy, this has lots of story possibilities. And yeah. Europa eventually, because she's such a high-powered character um, in terms of who she really is, she became the character who could come up with ideas that you could use to run a whole organization, right? Because yep. she has her generals all over the world, but she has to she has to be running the cash register during the daytime. So how can she run the entire Eastern Bloc with, you know, with with very little time? And so she becomes a sort a resource for delegation, a resource for goal setting, a resource yeah. for how do you give and receive feedback, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so a lot of these things started small. And when I say these things, I mean, like the characters started small, the story arc started small. And it was the more I let myself get into them, the more my mind was willing to go places it had never gone before. Um, um, and I, also, I, 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 go ahead. Yeah. Oh, also, I highly recommend taking a comedy improv class. Because great, great, great tip. Yeah. I, highly, highly recommend it. I agree with that. And, and, Let's not forget what we said at the beginning of this episode, that this was the number one podcast in the business category for iTunes, for Apple, for four years, top five for the rest of of the time, uh, additional eight years, top five of all podcasts for a while in the third year. This was that was that was was only for like a week, but uh, that's okay. (laughs) Lean into yeah. it, Steve. That's right. <laughs> and here, you know, it's not as if you're listening to Steve talk about this and he's talking about these characters and she took over the, she was the secret force by running the world and all this stuff that seems on the surface 
creative and maybe people out there are thinking this sounds a little bizarre good it still delivered it still drew people in because of the creativity because it was outside the box because it wasn't the same old blah 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 lecture we've all read books about time blocking and and productivity and and we've all been put to sleep by them and uh, this this was the podcast it was and the other work that that Stever has done has been successful because it combines that valuable, useful business information yeah. with the creativity and it's infotaining information, entertainment. There are a million lessons in what you've just been talking about, Steve, for the last few minutes. And, and I want to just unpack a few very quickly, have your comments on them. Number one, I hear you talking about tools and systems. You know, when we talk about play and, and your inner child and creativity, you know, we picture just playing with blocks, doing being frivolous, jumping on the trampoline and so on and so forth. But you've described a notebook, mind mapping, the discipline to sit down and plan and organize and think through it. So this is not just about saying, I'm going to be a creative being, I'm going to be a, a, you know, I'm a creative unicorn and I'm just going to go play. There is work and systems and tools and organizing that goes into it. That's, that's one thing. And, and I'll, I'll add a couple more. Okay. And, can I, can and I do it? Can I do a screen share or people would, will people see this if I do a screen share? Um, people, yeah, people who are watching on the video and I'll describe what you pull up as you pull that up. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, mention a couple of additional things. Number two is commitment. So what you did that I just find remarkable is when after that hundredth episode, you realized, all right, this isn't just flowing from me and, and the creative unicorn inside you remained committed to the work and the discipline of it. And you remain committed to the approach. And, and there's a huge lesson in that for everyone who's listening. And finally, there's an enormous amount of courage that goes into this, that you were, uh, you know, you, you said that you arrived at MIT and Harvard Business School without a sense of what the proper professional behavior was. But at, at some point, you understood that what you were doing was, quote, outside the box, was was outside the boundaries. And and I think it takes courage for professional people to embrace their creativity and say to the professional um, class that wants you to be very buttoned down and very serious and very professorial, uh-uh, I'm going to do it this way because it's a better way to do it. So that commitment, that use of tools and systems and the courage, all of those are the things that, that everyone who's listening can carry forward and, and that Steve or demonstrated were part of his, his creative process. Your thoughts. So, yeah. So first of all, the screen share is, um, I was not intending just to screen share this. This happened to be up on my screen, right? This is my idea file. When I, when I write an idea in my little book that I want to capture, you will notice it has over 800 entries in it at this point. Um, mm -hmm. I would say probably probably 40% of these entries are not actually great ideas, but they all go in here. And when someone says, would you write an article for us? I literally just go in here and I scan down here. And in fact, it's funny, one of these stories right here, number 872, was uh, my attempt to wear casual clothes to a formal event and what happened. <laughs> and it makes a great story. Uh, and the moral uh -huh. of the story, by the way, was no one cared. <laughs> the uh -huh. moral of the story was the people who talked to me kept talking to me. The people who didn't talk to yeah. me didn't talk to me. But so my system here is I actually have a spreadsheet and it becomes a source of ideas. And yeah. as it turns out, I enter new ideas faster than I take them out. So it's always growing. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, as far as courage goes, it is an actual reality that you can do things that are outside the box. People will get scared of, of, of you and 
and it will be problematic. My musical, I was thinking that this would be embraced by corporate America as the most awesome lunchtime keynote in all of history. Uh, and every event planner I talked to was terrified by the idea of a musical. They thought that was so far outside the box they could that they, 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 they it was yeah. like this the most dangerous thing ever. And I'm like, what's so dangerous about it that I might hit a bad note? Like, you know, I mean, compared to right. some of the business, some of the business presentations I've seen where, you know, the way that they those failed was by being the most god awful, boring, substanceless thing I'd ever right. seen. I'm like, I'm like, look, the very least people will be entertained, you know. Um, uh, in fact, the crying part was a problem. The original ending to the show was a was a real tearjerker. And we changed it to be very uplifting because an event planner that we talked to said, she's like, no one wants their employees to leave crying. <laughs> like, yeah, good point. Let's let's switch that around a little bit. Um, but the courage piece is important. And, and there are two things that you can do if you think something's going to be dangerous, right? One of them is write it down and keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. That's the one I recommend. The other one is tell yourself to stop coming up with such foolish ideas. Because <laughs> if you do the writing down, you can come back to it a year later. I can come back. This idea spreadsheet has been building for 10 years. Yep. And I can come back to this 10 years from now. And boom, I have 100 ideas that I can develop. If you write stuff down, maybe someday you'll be in a position, maybe society will change. Yeah. Um, you know, I... The, the book that I'm writing, the one that I'm not prepared to discuss yet, um, this is a book which is way outside my comfort zone and has required a great deal of courage to write. In part, it is a memoir, and it is a memoir about some very personal aspects of my life, yes, which tie into marketing. Remember, you're talking to a man who can who can tie in zombies, personal productivity, and, and tragedy. Right, so this this is not going to be a book like any that's ever been written before, but but it's really out there in some ways, and and originally I was like I'm not going to publish this, nope, I'm just writing it for the fun of it, and then it became I'll publish it under a pseudonym, but you know I have no idea where it would take me because it is so out there, mm-hmm. and gradually I've re- I've come to realize that you know. When I look back over my life at what are the things that have make them, made the most difference, what are the things that have really opened up new possibilities and maybe closed some possibilities? But it's funny, literally, like when I make a list of all of the, the really big things I'm proudest of and I look back on and feel were like the most meaningful things in my life, like the get it done guy itself, the reason I did it is I wanted a creative outlet. And I wanted someplace where I didn't have to just, you know, constantly do the same old, I am being very professional now, and I am talking like a Harvard MBA. And when I heard Grammar Girl's podcast, I wrote her and I said, you know, I love the way you do the snails and this, you know, and and the aardvark. And if you're ever looking for a business podcaster, I could come and be your business podcaster. None of my clients would ever have to know that I actually have this silly creative side that wants to talk Mm -hmm. about aardvarks and snails. And and she said yes to that. And that was, I didn't do that because I had a business plan for that. I didn't do that because I wanted to reach number one on iTunes, right? I just did that because I was like, it's a fun idea. And I've come to realize that the things that often, the things that feel the riskiest, once you've decided to do them and once you've done them, meh. Now, sometimes they really are risky. Sometimes you lose your job over something, or sometimes people ostracize you or whatever. But if you're, you know, I, I don't remember who, who said it, probably everyone. But if you, if you do something that is polarizing, all that polarizing means is some people will say, whoa, I don't want anything to do with that person. But other people will say, whoa, they're my new best friend. Yep. You know, so, yep. um, and so I think it's important to also understand that that when you're taking a creative leap and you're being courageous, if you're really doing a really courage a really courageous leap, you are going to alienate some people, and you're going to attract other ones. So when I showed up at that Harvard Business School networking event in jeans and a t-shirt, and everyone else was wearing a suit, the people who believe that all serious business people wear suits would take one look at me, and just decide that I. I was not on their radar screen, not someone they wanted to spend time with. There were going to be other people, however, who were going to look at me and say, huh, that's an interesting look. I wonder what he's doing with that. And they're mm-hmm. going to come over and talk to me. Now, yep. for, for purposes of making money, 
in that particular case, probably should have worn a three-piece suit. For purposes of meeting really interesting people, showing up dressed otherwise. And you know, what I have what I have determined about myself for better or worse, and you know, I'm I'm not convinced either way at this point, is I'm I enjoy money. I like money. I want to have a lot of money, but I'm not motivated by money. I am motivated by meeting interesting people and getting to know them and having fun and playing board games and writing zombie musicals. And like it or not, that's who I am. Yeah. And so so I've shifted my approach. And this is a recent mindset shift, by the way. So this is, you know, and I and I this your your word courage is really what's provoked this. I've shifted shifted my approach from saying, how can I be courageous in an area that views me as needing courage just to express myself to an attitude of, you know what? How can I take the courageous me? And use the courageous me to find the communities and the businesses and the people who will value that. And then we can do business together because, because yes, there's the creative storytelling zombies, zombie musical me, but I'm also a serious, seriously substantive business person. I know my shit, excuse my French. Yeah. Yeah, You know, in what you said a moment ago, some of your best work and your most impactful work came from those moments of just letting it go and what what results from that is the confidence to have the mindset shift that you just described this idea that you can be a creative person you can you can release the kind of work that might not play with the suit and tie professional crowd and you you know that it's going to play somehow somewhere so if if it was all about making money you you would probably begin to fall into that safe middle you know it's it's <laughs> well me, me personally what would happen is i would be heading towards the safe middle i would be trying to get to the safe middle and then at some point i would look around the room and say hey is this thing we're doing actually ethical <laughs> and so much for the safe middle i would yeah. i would that would that would be the end of that particular phase of no, my career, I, I, hear you. I hear you <laughs> but but the but all of this stuff that you've been talking about the the it it giving yourself permission to be the creative soul that you are. And I'm talking to the audience, not to you, Steve, giving yourself permission to be the creative soul you are is going to produce work that is more entertaining and thus more captivating. And and, and, and it may, it may polarize people. And it may and, polarize people. Right. And you just be prepared for that. And that's also a good thing. Because remember, it's going to filter some people out, but it's going to filter other people in. Right. And, um, you know, I I wish I could tell you a story about the book that I'm writing because I have a, the ultimate story about that very topic. But suffice to say that by mistake, I brought up a very sensitive portion of my memoir at a business conference. And remember, I come from a traveling new age, hippie, polyamorous commune. Uh If Uh I think something is edgy, trust me, it's edgy. (laughs) And by accident, this vignette from my past got brought up in a set in a, in a work setting by someone else. And I was horrified. I was prepared to, to just be like, okay, so much for having any business relationship with anyone standing at this table. And once that was on the table, every person around the table shared some equally out of the box thing of, you know, oh yeah, I was doing, I was doing Sufi stick dancing in the blah, blah, blah mountains as we were (laughs) dancing naked around the fire and giving each other henna tattoos. And I'm like, okay, didn't really expect that from the Brooks Brothers suit, but good to know. So, so, you know, it's a big risk sometimes and sometimes not always, but sometimes what you discover is there's a lot of other people out there who are just like you, who are suppressing their creativity because they believe it's going to, they believe you will ostracize them if they yeah. express it. And, yeah. you know, once you all kind of, kind of lay it on the table, you just might discover that, uh, 
you know, that you have partners in, in creativity and you can actually get together and build more, greater, better, more amazing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Steve, let's make this deal. You, you're still working on the book. The book will come out and there will be a day not too far into the future where you can talk openly about that book. And yes. And let's plan on bringing you back because we've plowed through an hour. This thing usually is a half hour, 40 minutes and, you know, time flies. Right. And and we could keep going, but let's call it a day in just a moment with the promise that we will talk about the book. I want to talk to you about the Beatles because the Beatles creative process, uh, uh, things I know about their creative process were sparked um, in my mind by everything you were talking about. There's more to discuss with Steve or Robbins, but we need to go. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I, I, ugh, I, I hate pulling the rug out from under this episode and, and, and doing that uh, call it a day. You know, I, I greatly envy Tim, uh, Tim Ferriss, who takes the approach to his podcast that I'm going to talk until we're finished. And some episodes are two hours. Some episodes are less than an hour. Uh, but we keep this up. We try to keep these episodes less than an hour. And I want to respect that for my listeners who are, are tuning in and expecting it to be less than an hour. So uh, I hope everybody who's, who's still with us now going on 70 minutes isn't feeling like uh, isn't feeling like we did them a disservice. I don't feel that way. I think this was an amazing conversation. And Steve, I'll just uh, leave the last word to you. Parting thoughts before we go. Parting thoughts is we don't know if you only live once, but mm. if you do only live once, instead of asking yourself, um, why should I not be courageous? Why is this creative idea a bad idea? Ask yourself, if you're looking back on it from the age of 80, how bad could it possibly have actually been? And would you have regrets for not having done it? Mm. And what I find is that, and I'm not 80, so I could be wrong, but I find that for an awful lot of the things that I'm afraid to do, when I think about it in those terms, I'm pretty sure that I would regret not having given, not having given it a shot. Because even if it doesn't succeed, I will have tried. Whereas if I'm 80 years old and looking back on my life, my life is one long stream of things that I had thought about doing and then was too afraid to do. That's like the worst of all, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's 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 my attitude. And if you want to go see Peter in the Starcatcher, you know, I'm I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do they find you if they want to invite you to Steve or uh, excuse me, to, to Peter and the Starcatcher? <laughs> Yeah. Sure. Um, if you want to find me, you can find me at steverrobbins.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-R, Steve, Steve with an R, Robbins, R-O-B-B-I-N-S. So there's two R's in the middle, S-T-E-V-E-R-R-O-B-B-I-N-S.com. And there's a contact form. You just click it, click on contact at the top and you can send me an email. Beautiful. Oh, and my, my website. Yeah, right, right. That is my website. Yes, website. Steve Robbins. That is your website. Yep. That is my website. Yes. Steve Robbins, thank you so much. This has been a blast. And I do mean it that uh, when the book is ready to be discussed publicly, let's discuss it. Uh, we'll do this again sometime. Putting you into my podcast, my podcast tour uh, spreadsheet, even as we speak. Beautiful. The systems, tools. <laughs> there we go. That'll oh, yeah. be the last word. Steve, thanks. Thank you. for listening to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. If you liked what you heard today, visit storypowermarketing.com resources, where you can sign up for Tom's entertaining, informative, must-read emails, download free business building resources, and discover other opportunities to help you harness the power of storytelling. That's storypowermarketing.com slash resources to help you captivate prospects, inspire them to act, and grow your business with greater ease and joy. Also, please remember to subscribe to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. <laughs>